Shadows of doubt stealing my sleep. I'm wearing down without any relief. Tired eyes and a tangled up soul. I'm feeling lost. I don't know. I keep on trying to soothe my grief. But all that's left is a borrowed belief. It's truth I need, not another cliche. Your word is my hope for a steady
worship the King, all glorious above, oh gratefully sing His wonderful love, our shield and defender, the Ancient of Days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, tell of His might, oh, sing of His grace, whose robe is the light and canopy space, His chariots of wrath and deep thunder clouds roar, and dark is His path on the wings of the storm. Good morning, everybody. It is so, so good to see you all this morning. If you are uh, first time here, my name is Jay. I'm one of the pastors, and we have a special morning. Our kids are actually going to start our service off with us. They are going to, uh, yeah, give, a, give them some applause. Yeah, this is exciting. So typically, we begin with a call to worship, a prayer, and a song. This, uh, this morning, the kids are going to recite a verse they've been working on. That's going to be our call to worship this morning. So they're going to, to uh, recite our call to worship for you this morning. And then they're going to lead us in a song. They have some dance moves involved. It's going to be amazing. So, uh, yeah, whenever y'all are ready, 
we are going to start our service.
earthly pain finally will cease celebrate Jesus is alive He's alive and oh, happy day happy day you wash my sin away oh, happy day happy day I'll never be the same oh, happy day happy day you wash my sin Thank you kids so much. Would you give them another round? Follow your teachers back to your classes. Great job, everybody. While they're heading out, why don't you stand with us? Sing all creatures of our God and King. Sing it out. All creatures of our God and King. Lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden
Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community walking with God in our city. We were just singing some lyrics that are difficult to sing. If you're in a valley season when it feels like God has indeed let you down. Um, and a reminder, since we're gathered here for corporate worship, that one of the ways that God sustains us and continues to minister to us in those valley seasons is by gathering his people. So this gathering is not just about you. It's about the people who are seated around you, who are in those 
valley seasons, and so I would ask you this morning, how will you not just personally benefit from this time of worship, but how will you minister to people that are sitting around you who are sitting there and thinking and feeling like God has let them down? How will you minister to them? How will you, how will you care for them uh, before you walk out these doors? We would love to get to know you. Um, there's a number of ways you can do that. Number one, please consider filling out that connection card we put in your bulletin. Um, you get a bulletin when you walk in, at least you should have. There's a card in there. Put your prayer requests on there. You can put your name on it. You can make it anonymous. The main thing is we want to pray for you. And then you can slide that uh, card in the seat pocket in front of you. We'll pick them up after the service. You can also drop them in the brown box in the back of our sanctuary. There's a virtual way that you can do this. If you go to citychurchgmv.com connection, you'll find the same card. You can fill it out on your phone that way as well. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as a people of God is giving generously. You can give online, citychurchgmv.com slash give, or the brown box again is in the back. There's some envelopes and some pins. This is the beginning of Holy Week. We will be celebrating Good Friday together with Creekside Community Church Friday night at 7 o'clock. We would love to see you outdoors at Creekside in their back kind of uh, grassy field area. We did this last year. It was a huge hit. We're going to do it again. Creekside is just a few miles north of here. So 7 o'clock Friday evening. We would love to see all of you. Uh, and this is very informal. It's kind of like bring your lawn chair. We will have some seating available there, but bring your lawn chair. You can even bring some lawn games if, and arrive early, throw the Frisbee around. Kids are very welcome here to roam around. And this is a very organic, wonderful time. So 7 o'clock, that's on Friday night. And then Sunday, we're having three services. One of them is a little mysterious right now, but I'll do my best, okay? 7.30 a.m., we're having a sunrise service. Uh, the reason it's mysterious is because we don't know where it is yet, okay? Um, and it will be outdoors very close to here. It's either going to be at the 4th Avenue Food Park, which is just down the road from here. We've done a lot of things there before. It's either going to be at the 4th Avenue Food Park, or it's going to be at Sweetwater Park, which is just it's basically behind the library, uh, the downtown library. This is not Sweetwater Preserve. This is not Sweetwater Wetlands. If you go to either of those locations, you would be uh, very sad about it when you arrive. So Sweetwater Park is just behind us, basically. So it's either going to be 4th Avenue or it's going to be Sweetwater Park, and we will do everything. We will go above and beyond to communicate to you which one of those it is. 7.30 a.m. sunrise service will be about 45 minutes uh, unplugged, so just acoustic, guitar-led worship, and then me talking as loudly as possible, uh, Lord willing. But bring a lawn chair. Everything that you bring is what you will have for this service, okay? So it's going to be at either one of those locations. We'll put it on our website. We'll put it on our intranet on Realm. We'll make it really clear. Uh, you can come by the church and say, where is this thing? And we will tell you where it is. And then, so 7.30 and then 9 and 11 o'clock on Easter Sunday, we'll be having our, you know, kind of normal Easter services here um, in the sanctuary. So you have 7.30 sunrise, then you have a 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service. I would encourage you, please, be praying over these services. Uh, these are some wonderful opportunities for God to be at work in profound ways, uh, showing us how we can have hope in an increasingly uh, hopeless-filling time in our world. And I would also encourage you to be considering who you might invite. Be bold. This is a season you know, who cares anymore? Just invite folks. Just to, just say, hey, come join me. Come be here. Um, and let's let's inquire together. Let's, let's press into this together. So that's on Sunday. And then during this week, uh, we are having our second to last, speaking of hope, 
uh, questioning Christianity class. So on Wednesday evenings in our community room behind the lobby, Tyler Jacobs is leading this wonderful class where we are asking hard questions about uh, Christianity. And uh, this week we're talking about hope, which is just perfect for our Easter season. So we're talking about hope. It'll be, it's basically two hours. We started at 6.30. There's a meal provided. Even if you've missed all the other ones, come have a discussion about hope. There's a, a lecture, a uh, recorded lecture discussion. So that's on Wednesday night, 6.30, second to last time. And I do hope that we will see you there. And then before I do a special introduction, uh, just a reminder that we are engaged in what we're calling our City Roots Project. We, as of a week and a half ago, now own our entire building. And so we are raising funds. Yep, you always clap for that. That is great. Uh, so we're raising funds to renovate it. We expect that this will take probably two or three years to raise enough funding to renovate our building, and um, we would love to tell you all about it. There's all kinds of information about it sitting on our hospitality table. The main thing, though, is that the end of kind of like our pledge drive, uh, where you would indicate how much you're interested in pledging financially towards this project, is April 24th. So if you haven't sent in a pledge yet, we would love to hear from you. Uh, there's cards that are sitting on that hospitality table that you can fill out um, or just put something on your connection card and we will respond to you and make sure you have everything that you need to feel very well equipped. So April 24th is sort of like our deadline uh, to send in those pledge cards. And again, amounts of all sizes, large, small, are going to be a huge blessing to our church. Um, there's also cards on that table that you can use to invite people to our Easter services um, and I think even to our Good Friday service potentially. So check the hospitality table. Every month, at City Church, we do something called a, a gospel in life highlight, where we hear from one or two, sometimes, in this case, two people from our church. Uh, They're going to talk about how, maybe how they became Christians, um, what that story is like, and kind of the details of that story, or they're going to tell you how God has been at work in their lives recently. How has Jesus been ministering to them personally? Um, that is the case this time. Uh, we, in just a moment, we're, are going to hear from Joel and Jennifer Parker. Joel and Jennifer helped start City Church nine years ago. They've been here ever since. They're some of the most hospitable people you'll ever meet. They help lead one of our community groups. They serve faithfully in the life of our church. I mean, in just ways abundant. Um, I was trying to think, how do, you, how do you introduce beyond that Joel and Jennifer? And this is what I kind of came to. Um, vocationally, and organically, they give a lot of really good advice, okay? That, that's how I would categorize their presence here in Gainesville. So Joel, if you are adrift academically, you don't know which classes to take, especially if you're in the College of Engineering, go see Joel Parker. He will help you iron everything out. If you're concerned about what you should be eating, um, Jennifer Parker would love to give you some advice about that as well. And Joel Parker will even spend five extra minutes and tell you which credit cards uh, you should have and own and why they will benefit you in various ways. So all kinds of advice, and then they're both pretty fantastic creators. Joel is a really talented artist. Uh, Jennifer is sewing up some really fantastic clothing and other things, wallets, and a brand new business she just started. I could go on and on. So anyways, let's go ahead and welcome Joel and Jennifer. Wow, good morning. What an oh, introduction. Great introduction. <laughs> um, so 
We're Joel and Jennifer Parker, and we're really excited to be here with you guys to tell you a little bit about what God has done in our lives the last 11, almost 12 years we've been in Gainesville. Um, and so one of the things we want to focus on is how God has really rooted us, uh, throwing the City Roots um, uh, campaign uh, there, but also like really established us in a place that we weren't exactly sure about. Yes, and just a brief little history about us. We were super blessed to meet Jesus um, when we were very young, growing up in Christian homes, really supportive families who just demonstrated the love of Christ for us and have been with us every step of the way. And we had the chance to meet in St. Louis, Missouri. and um, Go Cardinals. <laughs> go Cards, yeah. So we were there for a handful of years and then um, decided that um, we wanted to get to the next step. And for me, it was getting closer to family. And for Joel, it was... He really wanted to pursue a position um, as an art professor, but that wasn't working out, so we thought he'd get a second master's in art history to increase his chances. So God brought us to Florida in 2010. And now I work with engineering students, which is a, a completely different thing. But um, we uh, weren't sure about Gainesville when we first came. We came really to, to do those things, to pursue our careers and our desires. Um, and some of the interests we were looking for weren't exactly in Gainesville when we first came. Now, we met, met some great people, and along the way, we got involved um, in City Church. Originally, we were driving out to Christ Community because we had met some good people there and um, wanted to be a part of that uh, church, um, but that was a 20-minute drive. We lived downtown, um, and we were introduced to City Church in um, 2000, I guess that was 12, right after we got married. Um, and we started thinking about, you know, how could we be a part of the city, even if it wasn't exactly, you know, where we wanted to be. I, I am a, an artist, and Jennifer's very creative, and we wanted to be in a big city where we could express that creativity, but we felt called to the people of Gainesville. And we just really, that was, I think, the first step, the ha aha moment to know that God was with us in this journey and that it didn't look like what we expected, but it felt right. And so we just, with our co-leader, James DiVirgilio and Ryan and Chipper and everybody just who loved Gainesville and they came back to Gainesville from other places, we started to really fall in love with the people of Gainesville and our community groups just helped to reinforce that love for people. And so that was a really great time to see how God could grow our hearts for the people. And then probably around 2018 or so, started this extra growth, lots of growth, lots of really cool things happening, lots of construction in our neighborhood. We had opportunities to support the Seminary Lane Project. We were just really um, inundated with opportunities to see the city flourish um, in addition to the people that we've been blessed by and hopefully blessing. And at the same time, there was also a lot of pruning that was starting to happen. Um, my health was starting to deteriorate. We weren't sure about the whole kid stuff. We were not having success despite trying a lot. And um, we really close friends were moving away. <laughs> Things were just starting to crumble. And it really all kind of came to a head around 2020 um, with COVID and our lives just kind of halted as I'm sure everybody's did. And it just gave us a chance to be extremely local and very still and really just trust in the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, like, you can take everything away. Like, my identity and work was just disintegrating before my eyes. Everything was just going away for us. And um, we just had to trust. And he started to slowly rebuild us 
which is so amazing by us surrendering to the safety and security that income can bring from a big job, the, um, <laughs> the can I get up in the morning, can I put my foot in front of me, um, can I just do things, can we do stuff as a couple, um, what does that look like? So we began to trust, and then God decided to, to rebuild us, basically. <laughs> yeah, and throughout that whole process, it was a thing where we were giving up our desires in the way we thought they were meant to be lived. You know, I really wanted to be an art professor. I really wanted to pursue living in a big city and being involved in how the city operated. Um, and when that was not happening, we saw that God was actually, he put those desires in our heart to be used so that we could bless other people. And God wanted us to be here in Gainesville to make that choice to um, care about the people here, to care about the downtown, to care about our neighborhood, um, to get to know people around us. And that was always a part of something we, we knew about, but it has now become our passion, um, so much so that we are very committed to being in Gainesville and to, to caring for others here. Um, and I've gotten to do some really fun things that God reoriented. I get to work, I'm not a professor, but I get to do advising, um, which I really love. Um, and God has given us a chance to do some neat things with being downtown and being present. Um, and Jennifer can tell you about that really quickly. Just very briefly, uh, we've just had, I mean, God just laid all this out. That was the other remarkable thing, and I just want to encourage you guys that you may not know how God's going to use you. You may have some passions, and it may not look like what you expect, but if you get to do it with God, it's better than anything else in the world, you know, and so just our passion has increased, and he just laid in front of us the opportunity for me to be local, to serve my community through nutrition as well as through sewing and design. And it's just, it's been him the entire way. And I just, I love that there was no part of me and my strength or my um, abilities. It's very clear that it was him. And when you're experiencing hardship, sometimes it's really good to look and see what other people are going through and seeing their gifts and talents and how you as part of God's kingdom get to experience those alongside of them. You know, we've led a community group with James for um, going on eight and a half years now and getting to see all the people that have come through our community group that even though they might go on to somewhere else, um, you know, because Gainesville is a very transient city, that they have committed to being followers of Christ and using their talents to bless people, to bring other people to Christ and that's something that God has really put on our heart of late, just this desire to let other people know what our hope is, why we are following Jesus, why we are committed to being downtown. And it's something we'd love to talk to you about. Chipper did make that great com comment about advice, but I also just like talking and chatting. So if you ever want to talk about where you're coming from, we'd love to talk with you about that. Thanks so much for listening, and let us know if you have any questions. All right. There you go. All right. Thank you, Joel and Jen. Um, my name is Ryan, one of the pastors here, and I'm thrilled to get to uh, bring the message this morning. We are looking at Matthew 21, so we're stepping out of our Second Corinthians series as we enter into Holy Week. We're going to have some special messages focused on that, so we're looking at Matthew 21, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up, follow along. You can also follow along 
on the screen up here. And uh, welcome to Florida in April, where you wake up in the morning and you need to have the heater on, and by the end of the day, you turn the air conditioning on. It's just a little bit weird. We don't know what's going on today. Uh, Matthew 21, and we'll start in verse 1. Oh, if you are able to, yeah, if you are able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Thank you. Now, when they, that is Jesus and the disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we get to remember this morning and this week your journey to the cross. Thank you for all that you came to do, to accomplish for us, out of love for us, out of mercy to us. And so, Lord, I, I pray that in the midst of the busyness of this world and our lives, the hecticness, the responsibilities, all the things that we have going on, Lord, that you would meet us here, that our hearts would be still this morning and we would hear your voice that your word would cut through to our hearts and remind us of your goodness, your presence, your peace, your authority, your truth, your mercy towards us. Would your Holy Spirit be at work powerfully this morning in your word, in our hearts. And may Christ be glorified. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, you know, I know there were lots and lots of Lord of the Ring references in the past decade, and then they sort of just dried up because they got way overused, way, way overused. But I just had to go here. Uh, Yes, for you, Zach. Uh, In the Fellowship of the Ring, you know, I actually don't recall if this is in the book or not. Um... But I remember in, in the movie, in The Fellowship of the Ring, one of the more moving scenes for me personally is one that's not often 
talked about, but it's found towards the end of the film. Boromir, who's the son of the, the steward of one of the big kingdoms in the land, uh, he's, he's part of the fellowship that is helping take the, the ring to Mount Doom. Uh, but Boromir becomes, in, in the process of this journey, becomes possessed by greed and this desire for, for power and the allure that this, the, the ring represents, and he tries to steal it from Frodo. Of course, Frodo escapes, uh, slips it on, goes invisible, kicks him in the side. A uh, little c- comedic relief there. Uh, but in this process, he begins to realize that this journey is going to have to be one that he does alone. And that's going to mean him leaving his companions. And so when he, he slips off to safety and he, he slips the ring off, Aragorn, the, the leader of the group and the rightful heir of the throne of Gondor, kind of stumbles upon Frodo. And Frodo's, he's startled, of course, after what has just happened. And he, he shrinks back in fear and Aragorn reassures him. He's like, I I swore to protect you. And Frodo asks him, can you protect me from yourself? Would you destroy the ring? And he holds this, he holds the ring out to him. And you can see, and you can hear the the temptation, the voices start to run through Aragorn's mind. You see it in his eyes, the, the temptation to grasp for power. But he approaches Frodo, and instead he kneels beside his friend, and he he closes Frodo's hand over that wretched temptation. And he says to him, I would have gone with you to the end, to the very fires of Mordor. And the moment so poignantly depicts this loyalty that we, we hope for in a friend, right? But even more than that, it depicts the character that we yearn for in a king. This is Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week, in which we remember Jesus' journey to the cross, his death, his, his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And this morning, we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as a king. And likewise, we remember the loyalty and the character of Christ that we see here in this passage. And what we see displayed amongst many other things, what we see is that Jesus is the king that we yearn for and the one that we so desperately need. He is everything our hearts desire, and he's everything that our souls require. And this morning, I want to reflect on two characteristics that we see of Jesus as our king in this passage. We see that Jesus is a humble king, and that Jesus is a peacemaking king. He's a humble king, and he's a peacemaking king. So we start first with his humility. You know, the way that you into a room can really say a lot about you, right? It may reveal aspects of your personality, like if you're a real social butterfly and you just 
walk in and you just can't wait, and you're looking for someone to talk to right away, right? Or it may reveal if you're a little bit more shy, a little bit more reserved, you know, my people here, you're a little bit more withdrawn. Uh, it, may, it may reveal levels of your self-confidence or how comfortable you are in a social setting, it, you know, but it can even reveal your values. When you go into a social setting, who do you move towards? Do you look for the people immediately who have status and influence? Or do you move towards the people who are the easiest to talk to, the, you know, kind of the most comfortable to be around? Or do you look around and see the people who no one's talking to? Do you see the people in the margins that reveal something about what's in here, right? Well, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem tells us a lot about him as well. Jesus, with his disciples, is traveling to Jerusalem in anticipation of Passover, one of the largest, most significant festivals uh, of the year. And Jerusalem, of course, being the capital city as well as the location of the temple, was the central place of worship for the Israelites. And in the Gospels, leading up to this event, we hear Jesus warning his disciples. Tell, he's telling them over and over again, and sometimes subtle ways and sometimes very overt ways, that he was, he was going to lay down his life. This was not going to go like they expected. This was not going to be a big celebration, that there was, there was a time coming where he was not going to be with them anymore. So as they approach the nearby towns of Bethany and Bethpage, Jesus instructs his disciples to go and fetch a donkey and a colt, so the colt to, for him to ride on, and the donkey presumably to kind of assure her offspring, you know, not to get skittish if this is the first time this colt is being ridden. We aren't told exactly how Jesus knew about uh, the animals here, whether this was divine knowledge or, or whether he had made arrangements in the past, but regardless, it isn't, that isn't the focus of the text. The focus is the nature of Jesus' entrance into the city, and that's exactly what the Gospels hone in on when they cite as a fulfillment the prophet Zechariah, quoting Zechariah 9.9, 9, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. You know, it was, it was customary for a king who was returning from a long journey or especially from some big campaign to be greeted at the gates by his people with celebrations, right, with songs, with rejoicing. But on such an occasion, a king would typically enter his city on a war horse, appearing tall, strong, valiant, victorious, right? But in, in following the same theme, Jesus has been telling his disciples, this is not going to be like what you're expecting. Instead, in the week leading up to his central mission, his crucifixion and his death, the, the primary purpose for which he has come, Jesus chose to enter the most prominent city on one of the greatest festivals of the year, riding a young donkey, not a big war horse, a small practical animal that was considered a beast of burden because it was usually used to, to transport goods, but definitely not carry a king. Jesus chose not to enter 
with pomp and circumstance, not to enter with self-exaltation, but to enter in humility and in meekness. You know, there's something about humility that is just so attractive, right? It's just so, it's so beautiful in general. You know, when you see someone that is, they're unassuming, they're unpretentious, they, they, they don't care about what others think about them, but they care deeply about others, it's, it's just so compelling, right? It's gripping. Like when you see uh, some of my favorites, you see the video of the, the, a child with a disability who's on the basketball team, and the, it's towards the end of the game, and, and the teams kind of work together to, to pass the kid the ball, and, and they shoot you know, a bunch of times until they get to score, and then everyone celebrates them, and you see the, the innocence of the child, but you also see the humility of the players, that it's not about the game in that moment. It's not about their scores. It's not about the reputation. It's about caring for one another. Or when you come to know someone who has great expertise in a field of study, uh, but who willingly, patiently, kindly will explain the basics of it to you. I feel this more and more around University of Florida students. I'm grateful for your patience. <clears throat> or when you get to see how uh, your friend of many years does not think of himself, but is always thinking of the needs of others around him. You know, in these examples and a thousand more, we see the beauty of humility in everyday life. But even more than that, when we see humility in a leader, when we see humility in a ruler, in a king, it is captivating, right? Why is that? I think it is because it runs so contrary to our nature. And I think that is that be, apart from some intervention, humans tend to gravitate towards arrogance. You think about it. The more power someone has, the greater their proclivity towards pride. The more stature, the more influence, the more wealth, the more knowledge, the more fame someone has, the greater their temptation to get this kind of gargantuan head. You can almost like see it grow, right? The easier it is to look down on others or become conceited or self-absorbed. You may start thinking, well, I was successful because of what I did and these other people didn't work hard enough or they weren't smart enough or they didn't make the right choices, they didn't make the right investments, or you know, whatever. We see this in, in reality TV shows all over the place, right? You see someone who starts off very kind of meek and, and, and gentle and sweet perhaps, but then they, they go viral, they get a, a huge following. And what happens? You, you see them slow, the way they start to interact with other people slowly start to change, slowly become a little more condescending. And you just cringe, right? You cringe. Something about power, about status, about influence, that these things tend to, and even, that they can and even tend to unravel humility in people. And then in the, the furthest extreme and in the worst cases, those people can use their power to exploit or manipulate or even abuse others, as we have so tragically seen in recent years. But when we encounter a person of influence, a person with authority, who is humble, who is genuinely humble, who doesn't think 
of themselves, but cares more about the interests and the needs of the people around them. When you see that, aren't you drawn to it? Aren't you just drawn to it? You know, one of the, the films that depicts this, I think, so beautifully uh, in recent years is the, the King's Speech, of course, the, based on a true story uh, about the Prince Albert who's, whose brother abdicated the throne because of his marriage, and Prince Albert was thrust into this very difficult position. He struggled mightily with the stammer, and he dreaded the limelight that was required by a public figure, especially by the king. And because of this, he didn't, he didn't want to be king. He didn't desire the throne, but this was sort of thrust upon him. He was the heir, and the country needed a king. And so he put aside his own comfort for the good of his country. He sought help with this stammer, and of course the, the film follows this, this relationship that he has with the speech therapist. And he eventually becomes King George VI, and he helps lead his people so beautifully, so humbly, through World War II, one of the darkest periods of their history. You know, you see that, and it, it is, it's compelling, it's, it's captivating, it's gripping. Well, never before and never since has such great authority and humility been manifest in one person as in Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings, and he's the friend of sinners. He's the Lord of lords, and he's the suffering servant. He's the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God, slain to take away the sins of the world. Jesus taught with the supernatural wisdom as one who had authority, yet he showed compassion on the unlearned and the irreligious. Jesus ruled sovereignly over all the universe, but he stooped to wash the feet of his disciples. He alone was perfectly righteous, yet he focused on caring for the unrighteous. With a word, he healed the sick, with a word, he cast out demons. With a word, he calmed a raging storm. With a word, he brought the dead back to life. And with a word, he forgave his executioners. And he restored those who abandoned him. Jesus is matchless in authority and simultaneously unsurpassable in humility. And I just want to ask you, do you know the heart of the Lord towards you? That he humbled himself to meet you, to meet us in our need. Not one of us is worthy. Not one of us lives up. Religious, irreligious, sick, healthy, we all are made in the image of God, and we all have likewise fallen short of his glory. And he invites us to come to him. We are not only drawn to a humble king, we need a humble king. We need a gentle king. And out of love, that is just how Jesus came, humbly, meekly, gently, to meet us in our place of need. Uh, 
Dane Ortland wrote a book, Gentle and Lowly, that was about Matthew 11:29 and many other passages that we see about the heart of Christ. Chipper must have referenced it probably like two dozen times a couple of years ago or a year or so ago. Wonderful, wonderful book. Fantastic book. And I just wanted to read a quote uh, that Ortland writes. He says, uh, consider what all of this means in, in referencing Hebrews 5 about the, the reality that Jesus can deal gently with us. Consider what all this means. When we sin, we are encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus because he will know just how to receive us. He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl and scold. He doesn't lash out the way many of our parents did. And all this restraint on his part is not because he has a deluded view of our sinfulness. He knows our sinfulness far more deeply than we do. Indeed, we are aware of just the tip of the iceberg of our depravity, even in our most searching moments of self-knowledge. His restraint simply flows from his tender heart for his people. Hebrews is not just telling us that instead of scolding us, Jesus loves us. It's telling us the kind of love he has for us. Rather than dispensing grace to us from on high, he gets down with us. He puts his arm around us. He deals with us in the way that is just what we need. He deals gently with us. He comes humbly to us riding on a donkey. So we see Jesus as a humble king. Secondly, we see Jesus as a peacemaking king. As Jesus approached the city, the crowds erupted in praise, right? They used their cloaks to cover the colt and the road, a way of showing honor to a returning king, you know, akin to, I guess, rolling out the red carpet today. Uh, they cut palm branches and they waved them joyously. Of course, the, the palm branch was this national symbol as well as a symbol of victory and hope. And so it's similar, I guess, the best analogy or best, uh, most similar thing for us today is, is the bald eagle or Statue of Liberty. It serves as a symbol of our country, but also a representation of our greatest value, right? Freedom. They, they wave this, this palm branch as a, a symbol of hope and victory in the Messiah that was coming. And the crowds cry out, Hosanna, which was originally this, a cry for salvation, but had come to be this common expression of praise for a God who saves. Praise for a God who saves. And they said, blessed is he who comes. This is quoting Psalm 111 and talking about the blessedness of a pilgrim who was coming to the holy city in one of these festivals. But all of this together, it's not, this is not boilerplate language for a pilgrim that's coming to a festival. Did you catch some of the unique things that they said? Hosanna to the son of David here in Matthew. In the Gospel of Luke, the crowd say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And John likewise records, blessed is the king of Israel. In other words, these crowds were giving Jesus the reception of a returning victorious king. And their language here was laden with messianic hope. They only understood in part, of course, 
But the part that they understood at the time moved them to reverence and to praise. Jesus was indeed a king coming in victory, but the victory he was bringing was quite different than what they had expected. In Zechariah 9, this prophecy that was quoted earlier, there was, there was a phrase that the, all of the gospel authors skip when they include this. It comes right after, behold, your king is coming to you. And Zechariah says, righteous and having salvation is he. Righteous and having salvation is he. Of course, the, they're focused on the humility aspect of Jesus coming here. But a, an integral part of this prophecy is the righteousness that he came in and the salvation that he would bring. And the next verse in Zechariah 9.10 explains exactly what that would look like. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be seen from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit." The salvation that this king would bring, the salvation that was prophesied about hundreds and hundreds of years before, was one of peace. Cutting off the chariot, cutting off the war horse, breaking the bow, his kingdom that would stretch across the land, east to west, south to north. And a king who would use his authority to do what? To speak peace to the nations. That's what the prophet foretold, and that is exactly what Jesus came to do. You know, we don't have to look long to be reminded of how badly we need peace right now. We see it in the events of the last few years. We see it in the rising anxiety and depression worldwide. We see it in the political polarization. We see it in the tension and division between families, between communities, even within churches. And of course, in the forefront of our minds, we see it in the atrocities taking place in Eastern Europe right now, including the recent discovery of hundreds of civilians that were massacred in a suburb just outside of the capital city. You know, these events remind us again of the fallen condition of human beings and the evil that mankind is capable of. But Jesus came to bring us the peace that we so desperately need, that we yearn for. He came to bring peace with God. He came to, to bridge the chasm that was created between us and God from all of this evil and all of this wickedness and all of this sin, and to do so by making peace with God through a sacrifice of atonement. He laid down his life to cover over and fill in the gap that now by faith we walk across to commune with God in peace. And he also came to bring peace on earth. He came to break down divisions, to destroy the dividing wall of hostility, to make one new people in his name. 
He came to establish a kingdom marked by charity and grace to all people. He came to reconcile us to one another through forgiveness received and forgiveness expressed. He came to bring peace on earth now through the inauguration of his kingdom and one day throughout all the heavens and the earth. I can't help but recall such a beautiful example of this peace in action when we remember the response of the victims, the response from the victims in the Charleston shooting of Emmanuel AME Church back in June 2015. You remember a young man attended a service but then opened fire on the parishioners murdering nine people. It was shocking, of course, to see another shooting story in the news, and this time at a church. But what followed just 48 hours after that at the bond hearing was even more breathtaking. Several of the victim's families, uh, members, the victim family members stood up and expressed their forgiveness to the man who had just killed their family member. One stood up, one whose uh, woman, Miss Collier, whose mother was killed in the shooting, and she said directly to him, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me, and I never get to talk to her again. I'll never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me, you hurt a lot of people, but if God forgives you, I forgive you. What on earth gives someone the resources, the power to express that kind of forgiveness? It is only the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that we receive from God that enables us, that empowers us to show that forgiveness likewise to others so radically, so profoundly, so selflessly. It's the mercy of God that brings peace in this world. And that's what we so desperately need. Do you see, again, do you see the heart of the Lord for you? Jesus used his power to bring you peace. He used his authority as a sovereign creator and king to bring you peace. He is loyal and he is good. Do you have that peace? The peace that comes from knowing that you are truly known and truly loved. Peace with others because we have received mercy and so now we can show mercy. That's what he wants you to have. That's what he offers to you. That's what he rode into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to do. He knew what lie ahead of him. Betrayal, rejection, crucifixion, death, yes. But also new life, forgiveness, and salvation for those whom he loved. I've cast my anchor in the port of peace, knowing that present and future are in nail-pierced hands. Thou art so good, wise, just, holy, that no mistake is possible to thee. Amen. We turn now to the Lord's Supper. Each week we 
remember Christ's body broken for us and his blood shed for us, the cost of our salvation from our Savior. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples. And during the meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Later on during the meal, he took the cup and pouring it, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We remember his sacrifice for us. We, we actively put our trust in him now. And we look ahead to the day when we will be with our humble, peacemaking king for all eternity. And what a joyous day that'll be. A few words of instruction. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a few moments of silence to reflect and pray, search your hearts, uh, and then the band will come back up and we'll have some more music and time of worship. And then uh, an elder or deacon will come up and there'll be a station here, here, uh, serving the, they'll be serving the bread and then there'll be juice here on the table. And at any point after they come up, you're welcome to come and get the bread and receive the juice to yourself. This is open to anyone who's a follower of Jesus, so you don't have to be a regular attender or anything like that here. If you follow Jesus, you're welcome to come and participate. And if you're here this morning and you say, that doesn't describe me, we're thrilled that you're spending your Sunday morning with us. Thanks for, for taking time to kind of listen in and consider these things. And we just encourage you to use, use some of this time to think about what we've talked about. Uh, and if any of you would like uh, to talk about anything, if any of you would like prayer, we would love to do that. Uh, the elder or the deacon who are up here will also be available for prayer in the lobby after communion. So we encourage you to go and find them, or you can come and find uh, Chipper or I, after the service, we'd be happy to talk with you and pray with you. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can come to the table this morning. We remember your grace so tangibly, visibly expressed in Christ humbling himself, lowering himself, seeking our peace and being willing to go all the way to the cross, all the way to the grave for us. Father, touch our hearts this morning, I pray. Reveal in us any sin, any hindrance, any obstacle between us and you. May we confess that and receive your mercy and find freedom in your presence. May you fill our hearts anew and afresh this morning with your spirit and with the joy of the Lord, who is our strength. We ask this in Christ's name.
stand with us? Let's keep singing together. Sing, He is exalted. He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. And I will praise Him. Exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His name. For He is the Lord, forever His truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in His holy name. The King is exalted on high, and I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His name. For He is the Lord, forever His truth shall in his holy name he is exalted the king is exalted on high sing he is the lord he is the lord forever his truth shall reign heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name sing he is the lord Would love for you to do that. You can slip it in the pocket or in on the seat in front of you or in the box on your way out. Hear this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures.
treasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness of 